There's a story of a preacher who, in an earlier day, had written a book about how to live life in Christ. And in this book, he told of his struggle with appropriating all the spiritual disciplines for growth and particularly controlling his selfishness and his desires. Uh, And this pastor painstakingly guarded every word, every action to try to achieve growth. But he was exhausted by his pursuit in living the Christian life, which is something that is not too uncommon. Uh, He contracted tuberculosis and was put in a sanitarium. There he met a young woman who was actually an acquaintance from his faith community and was recuperating from the same disease. And one of the things that this pastor saw is that this woman seemed to uh, possess some real tranquility and joy, and he watched her for weeks, convinced that she had found the secret that he seemed not to be experiencing, even though he was a pastor. Uh, And one night, as he struggled in prayer, he felt that he could wait no longer, so he decided that he was going to find her, and he was going to ask her how she arrived at this peace. But before he could leave his room, there was a knock at the door, and there she was, standing before him, her face contorted, her body shaking with sobs, and this is what she said. She said, Brother Harry... I've watched you all these weeks, and if anyone has found the secret of holiness, it's you. I've got to know. You know, for many folks, spirituality seems to be what the other guy does, right? And confidence seems to elude a lot of Christians when it comes to living out the Christian life. It seems like Our goal with the Christian life is either unachievable or unknowable. And I want to suggest that legalism has the exact same results. That no one really knows when they're good enough with legalism. It's kind of like Camus' Sisyphus. There's a a nagging sense that... You've not reached your goal, but you still keep trying. You still keep striving for that undefinable maturity, that goal. The Christian who lives in dependence upon Christ, I want to suggest to you today, does not have to live with this frustration. That they know what the Christian life should be about. Uh, When Janet and I got back from Alaska, we had a story that was uh, given to us by a family that we spent a lot of time there with. Just a little backdrop, that there were some forest fires going on. We actually drove right through it when we were in Alaska, and there was a lot of smoldering acres and acres of ruined forest, which, by the way, they found the guy who started it, and he's been fined millions of dollars. They're going to garnish his, uh, his wages in order to pay for all the work that it took to put out the fire. But anyway, one of the stories that uh, this local told us is that one family did not want their house to burn down, had their 16-year-old daughter in the house, and they said, would you please, the fire was encroaching upon them, would you please water down the house? Take a hose and water it down. So she did that. 
She watered down the entire house. The only problem was she did the inside of the house, not the outside. (laughs) And I think that the Christian life is a lot like that, that we put a lot of energy into things and we miss the point. The energy is in a spot that somehow does not seem to be producing the fruit that we'd like to see. The fact is, is that we are to be motivated not out of fear or guilt. We are to be motivated out of love. We function knowing that God is going to bring about the growth as we proceed daily depending upon Christ. And what many Christians see as the process, this act of dependence on Christ, I want to suggest to you that God sees as the goal. The goal of the Christian life is our dependence upon Christ on a daily basis. Now, we choose to operate in this active dependence upon Christ, or we choose to ramp up our performance to achieve some man-made standard. We have a choice in the matter. Let's take a look at Colossians 3. Let's stand. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, we spoke last week about what it means to be identified with the death of Christ, and now we're being given this idea of identifying with our new life or resurrection of Christ, which places us in Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. I want to suggest that the core of the Christian life is not living a new ethic. It's not abiding by a new set of rules. The Christian life is about God taking dead men and making them alive in Christ. And life is now active dependence upon the indwelling Christ to live his life through us. You see, the legalist seeks to form behavior so he can achieve some spiritual reality. The Christian approach is to embrace your spiritual reality so that your behavior will be formed. We are the body of Christ, and Christ is our head. We are where the head is, and he is seated with God at his right hand. So if you understand what it means to be at the right hand of God, we can better appropriate our riches in Christ. Let's take a look at this. Because Christ is seated at God's right hand, our enemies will be defeated and we will rule with him. Psalm 110 says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that is repeated throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter 3.22, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. 
And then 2 Timothy 2, the saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also what? Reign with him. Reign with him, rule with him. Amazing. And by the way, we also have power, even presently, over the spirit world. That demons do not have power over us, but we have authority that we do not have to be enslaved to that mindset. Next, because Christ is seated at God's right hand, the redemptive plan of God is done and we can rest. Does rest typify your Christian life? Right now, your state of mind, your heart, your spirit, do you feel like you are at peace at rest. That is to be the experience that God wants us to have. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That sitting down is a sign of completion. Many Christians seem to still be working to gain this nebulous approval of God, this acceptance of God. But Christ has finished the work. We are to enjoy that and rest. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. Because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, it means Christ was a perfect and complete offering for our sin. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. This is Hebrews 8.1. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And again in Hebrews 10.12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That means the offering was accepted. That means it is complete. That means we no longer have to work for God's approval His acceptance, we are in Christ, we can enjoy that now, being seated with Christ at the right hand of God. The very thing that Christians often strive for, they already have in Christ. Because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we are the recipients of great power. The resurrection power of Christ resides in you. Do you have something before you that you feel like, I don't know if I can do this. This sin that besets me, I don't know that I have the power for this. This circumstance that seems to overwhelm me, I'm not sure I can do this. Well, you know what? You can't, but Christ can, and he is in you. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That is true of you. But now, on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God, it says in Luke 22. And then because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we enjoy a unique position of communion with God. We have access. Romans 8, 34 says, who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. He is our advocate with the Father. We are in Christ, so we enjoy a relationship with God because of Christ. It's amazing. Because we are in Christ, we are also seated with him, enjoying all of these benefits. We are to seek the things that are above, this passage says, from God. To seek means to set our affections upon Christ. Our aims, our ambitions are wrapped up in Christ. You know what? You may feel like our country is going to hell in a handbasket as we see human life devalued. It seems as if the evil one is winning and our rights are fading. It seems God is losing. The reality is, is that we are in Christ and the enemies of God are going to be defeated. You may feel tired of living life. You're tired of trying to gain some advantage that you seem not to be able to experience. You know what? You have been given great energy to live life unto God. And we can experience joy now, even though it may seem in short supply, because we've been living the Christian life on our own and not abiding in the vine. My dear friend, you can rest, you can be free from that nagging feeling that you've not done enough. There is a reason that it says that Jesus is our perfecter of the faith. He has done all that is needed for us to have access with God. You can quit striving to gain that acceptance. I'm not suggesting that the Christian life is not hard. I'm not suggesting that we don't strive in the sense of, of exerting our will to submit to him. But what I'm suggesting is the different kind of striving we need to give up. That striving to gain acceptance with God. You know what? Take a seat and enjoy your rest. God is not far. He is close by. He is ready to commune with you. A famous senator once said, you must remember that in politics, how you stand depends upon where you sit. Now, he was obviously referring to the political party seating arrangement in the Senate. But I think it applies to our standing in Christ. How I stand and walk 
depends upon where I sit. And I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. When we set our mind on these things above and not on the earth, the idea here is that we are not thinking in an earthly way. We are not thinking in a human perspective, but in a perspective from God. Legalism is a man-made concoction regarding religion. In particular, the mindset is a kind of, uh, of dualism that spiritual things are like, you know, reading your Bible, teaching Sunday school, um, singing a hymn, but then you have, you know, non-spiritual things of the material world, the, the, the mundane things of life, you know, like paying your bills, uh, driving your car, uh, sitting in the checkout line at Lowe's. These things are not spiritual. So you have the unspiritual, mundane parts of life, and then you have the spiritual things that we're to partake of. This kind of dualism we are to reject. Even the Old Testament taught a more holistic approach. For instance, in Leviticus 19, Moses says, Do not steal. Yet the verse next to it states, do not go over uh, your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Right next to do not steal. Or again in one verse it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And a verse right next to it talks about breeding cows. Why didn't Moses group all together the unspiritual stuff And then the spiritual stuff over here, you know, create separate chapters so that we could learn, you know, to make the separation. It's because there is no separation. Because man thinks in spiritual and unspiritual, but God does not. In God's eyes, listen to this, all of life's activities are sacred, including washing the dishes, going on a vacation, Changing a tire. See, it's the material things of the earth in and of themselves are not sinful, but become so if we exclude Christ. Spiritual devotion is about allowing, allowing Christ to transform, to be involved in every segment of our lives. And the more that we live in dependence upon Christ, the more we see every relationship, every transaction, every word under his direction, his power, his will. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have died with Christ, meaning our old life has died. We talked about this in detail last week. And then he says, what we enjoy in the spiritual realm now is hidden with Christ and God. That doesn't mean that we're never going to experience that kind of hidden. What it means is it's safe and secure, that God has this protected for us. And, And notice that our life is literally, he says, Christ, hidden with Christ in God. Now, we dare not tone this down to only mean that Christ is the possessor and giver of our eternal life. 
although that's true. Rather, I think it means quite literally that Christ is the very essence of our life. He is our life. Not only are we in Christ, but we are also in God. That's like a double protection. A.T. Robertson said of this, no hellish burglar can break that combination. And that is true of you, Christian, with Christ in God. Christ is the source. He is the meaning. He is the purpose. He is our identity, the whole of life. The whole of life. Our past is forgiven by Christ because we have died with him. Our present is powered by Christ because he is in us. And our future is secure in Christ because we are risen in new life. In fact, in a very real sense, we are experiencing eternal life now because his life is in us. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, we used to be destined for judgment because of our sins, but now we are assured of a glorious eternal destiny to enjoy Jesus' presence with a glorified body in a glorified universe. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. God outfits us for eternity. That's your future. We will appear with him in glory. This is your life. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory.